If you'd open your Bibles, we are in Zechariah chapter 1. Today we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 17. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. Let's read. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will open our hearts and minds so that we can understand your scripture and point us to Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, last week marked the beginning of our in-depth look at the prophet Zechariah. It's about 520 years before Jesus is born. Now, there will be no math quiz today, but here are a few historical milestones. In 586 BC, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed by Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. About 50 years later, Cyrus, king of Persia, allows Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. At the beginning of Zechariah's ministry as prophet, the temple is being built, but is not yet finished. And the people are learning that physically returning to Jerusalem does not mean that their hearts are turned back to God. They are in need of some serious comfort and a serious reminder of God's promises and faithfulness. At this point, the word of the Lord comes for the good of the people to Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, whose name literally means Yahweh remembers, or the Lord remembers. How fitting is that? God hasn't forgotten his people. He will once again dwell with them. He has remembered. And Zechariah, the well-named prophet, is about to have a very long night. A night to remember. He is about to receive not one... Not two, but eight visions. And by God's grace, Zechariah remembers this sleepless night for the benefit of God's people in his day and for us even now. Did you ever watch 
television and sit through one of those infomercials, whether it was the, the Magic Bullet or OxyClean or Jack LaLanne's Power Juicer, Tony Little's Gazelle Exercise Machine, the Sham Wow, the Snuggie. If you saw any of those, you are bound to hear these intriguing words. But wait, there's more. The host of the infomercial tells you how great of a deal you're getting with the magic bullet blender thing. Comes complete with five attachments and a cookbook of salsa recipes. But wait, there's more. Just when you think, wow, that's a lot of stuff. They pile on more offers. Well, now it's two blender things. 15 blending attachments, two cookbooks, one for salsa and one for smoothies, and a Magic Bullet commemorative plate. Zechariah perhaps felt this way after his first vision, the vision of today's focus. We will see the complexity and the fullness of this first vision, and we should remember that after this first vision, Zechariah's night is just beginning, and he will be told, but wait. There's more. Zechariah recalls in verses 8 through 10. I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Now picture it with me. There's an angel standing with Zechariah, helping him interpret what he is seeing. Zechariah asks, what am I seeing? And the angel says, I'll show you. The man on the red horse in the midst of the myrtle trees answers Zechariah directly, knowing that he has just asked the angel this question. And he proclaims, the Lord has sent out this cavalry to patrol the earth. Look at verse 11. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. So God's scouting servants report to their leader on the red horse that all the earth remains at rest. Now at first that sounds like a pleasant report, but we learn a bit later that God is not pleased with this rest because the resting ones are the nations that God has used as a judgment upon Israel. God is angry with these nations because their conquest of Israel, though divinely appointed, was carried out with evil intent and pride on their part. In verse 15, God states this, And I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Another way to read these words of God would be, I chose this godless nation to triumph over you for a season, and they added insult to injury. Or, their evil intent caused unnecessary harm to you. The Hebrew is literally, they helped for evil. It's a very similar scenario to God's judgment on the king of Assyria back in Isaiah 10. Now, I urge you to read that passage, but for now, here are the Cliff's notes. God had chosen Assyria as his instrument of judgment upon Israel. And after Assyria's victory, 
the king boasted in his own strength as the reason for his victory over Jerusalem, rather than honoring God. So God holds Assyria accountable for his evil heart. Now bear with me as I present a caution. We must be discerning with our English translations because certain phrases translated poorly from God's perfect word can actually affect our theology, our very view of God. Now this verse holds one prime example. Years ago, I had a heavy conversation with a pastor that I knew, and he had formed his theology, his view, that God wasn't completely sovereign over all creation, in part from this very verse, but in the New Living Translation. Now the NLT, the New Living Translation, renders Zechariah 1.15 this way. But I am very angry with the other nations that are now enjoying peace and security. I was only a little angry with, with my people, but the nations inflicted harm on them far beyond my intentions. Hmm. That phrasing sounds a bit different from what we just read earlier. And only reading that version could modify our solid understanding of God's sovereignty. God is indeed sovereign over all things. Joseph and his brothers are with me on that. When his brothers sold Joseph into slavery, they meant, they meant it for evil. But God meant it for good, and it was all within God's design. I'm also siding with Jesus. You may recall that in Matthew, Jesus tells us that a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from the Father's will. God's disdain toward Babylon for their actions in no way should be read as surprise or powerlessness on God's part. Note again in verse 11, the man on the red horse is now identified specifically as the angel of the Lord, which is extremely significant. It is the angel of the Lord who is leading this cavalry. Now, Angel simply means messenger. This word is used in scripture to describe both human messengers and spiritual messengers, those we would call angels. But there is one very unique angel who shows up throughout the Old Testament called the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord and why is he unique? We need to spend a few minutes developing a better understanding of him so we can more clearly understand what's being revealed here to Zechariah. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. This is the first explicit appearance of the angel of the Lord. It's after Abraham is told he'll have a son, though at this point Abraham and his wife Sarah still go by Abram and Sarai. And these two conclude that a son will come not through Abram's relations with his wife Sarai, but with Sarai's servant, a woman named Hagar. After Hagar becomes pregnant, Sarai treats her harshly and Hagar flees. So let's read Genesis 16 verses 7 through 13. The angel of the Lord found her, that's Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, 
return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Whoa. Who does this angel think he is? Verse 11, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Verse 13, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of singing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Church, please catch this. The angel of the Lord is a messenger sent from the Lord, but he's also identified as the Lord himself. Not just by Hagar, who says, you are a God of seeing, but by the author of Genesis, Moses, who states here that this was the Lord who spoke to Hagar. Verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Now, the angel of the Lord returns again and again throughout the Old Testament. He visits Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Samson's parents, Gideon, and others. And each time, the angel of the Lord is a messenger of God, yet also receives honor that is due to God alone. In the book of Exodus, God says that the angel of the Lord bears the name of the Lord and can forgive sins. So who is this angel of the Lord? Who is sent from God and yet is all that God is? We know him by another name, Jesus. Jesus identified himself as a man sent by God and yet is fully God. And before he took on flesh and was born of woman, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. This angel of the Lord and the Lord Jesus are one and the same. Now with that in view, we head back to Zechariah 1. Verse 11, again, and now we'll also read verse 12. And they, the ones on patrol, answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold... All the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? Zechariah has just witnessed something profound. The angel of the Lord is interceding on behalf of his people. This prayer of how long, O Lord, not a prayer of doubt, and it isn't an accusation of God being unjust. It's a plea for God's mercy toward his beloved people, for anger to cease, and for mercy to reign. In the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, we see that Jesus, our high priest, always lives to make intercession for his people, for those who draw near to God through him. Now, in this astounding vision, Zechariah sees our high priest before taking on flesh, praying on behalf of Israel for mercy, 
This is who Jesus has always been to his people. In Zechariah's vision, he petitions God for mercy on Israel. After taking on flesh, Jesus permanently obtains God's mercy for his people, including both Jew and Gentile, even to this day by the work of his cross. In Zechariah's time, the current state of affairs was that godless nations were enjoying peace and God's people had no peace. God's word to Zechariah is that all of this will change. God remembers his people and their peace will come from him and the nations that enjoy worldly peace will be shaken. A timely soundtrack for Israel during Zechariah's day would have been a psalm written by Asaph, who was a musical friend of King David. Asaph wrote Psalm 73, which begins this way. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph and Zechariah and his countrymen and the Lord himself and God's people today are all displeased with the worldly peace of the godless nations. And we know that it calls out for justice. Asaph laments this upside down world where the wicked enjoy peace and prosperity while God's people are left wanting. But... Asaph concludes his psalm, hopefully. Listen to the final verses of Psalm 73. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Asaph remembered that the peace of the world is fleeting and the peace of, that God offers will alone endure. His word is true and he remembers his promises to a sinful people on whom he delights to show mercy. Remember, we are just like the people of Jerusalem with Zechariah. We too were once under God's wrath and distanced from him. We were carried away by godlessness. God also commands us to respond to his loving kindness by leaving our godless lives and to dwell with him. And he is a good king. The king we are commanded to serve does not have a yoke of harsh labor or cruelty. Zechariah's kinsmen were told to turn from their sin and to come to the Lord. And so are you. Do not close your ears or harden your heart. But with open ears and a softened heart, hear the words of Jesus. He calls out to every one of us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are either like the nations who are at rest, asleep and unaware of God's coming wrath, or we turn to God and experience rest and true everlasting peace. I'm reminded of a movie scene, and I hope that you never see this movie the same way ever again. I know that Grace City is accustomed to hearing a sobering reference from the Lord of the Rings, but not today. Today, our sobering reference comes from another action-packed saga, Toy Story. There's a scene in this first Pixar movie that is unexpectedly relevant to what Jerusalem has experienced and the role that Zechariah has in their return to the Lord. Woody, who's a cowboy, and Buzz, a space ranger, are toys who belong to a boy named Andy. And Andy labels his toys with his own name, Andy, on the soles of their shoes. Now, through their own foolishness, Woody and Buzz end up next door at the home of a terrible child named Sid. Sid is not kind to toys, and he does not cherish them as if they were his own. Woody and Buzz do not have a bright or sure future at Sid's house. Now, during the night, Sid is peacefully sleeping and Woody tries to convince Buzz to return with him back to Andy's house. And Buzz, feeling totally defeated, says, Andy's house, Sid's house, what's the difference? And after a heartfelt speech by Woody, Buzz looks at the bottom of his foot and sees Andy's name written on him. Only then is he willing to return to Andy's house. He discovers who he is because he discovers whose he is. He knows to whom he belongs. And with that in mind, Buzz commits to returning to the home of his rightful owner. Zechariah is told to cry out to the people that they belong to the Lord, so return to him. Not just physically, but with all their heart. God is the one who offers peace, who offers that sure future. Today, when the Holy Spirit stirs your heart to face your sin, the guilt and shame that you experience can be your road sign to turn around, stop going the wrong way, and to come to Jesus, the true king you must serve. On the cross, Jesus dealt with our sin that separated us from God, and through him we can dwell with God under his leadership rather than continuing to be ruled by sin. When you face your sin, you realize your need for mercy, and God has no shortage of mercy on the weary sinner. Now, what is God's response to this plea for mercy on Israel? Zechariah hears comfort and grace from the Lord in response to the angel of the Lord's intercession. Verses 13 and 14. 
And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, Zechariah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. The angel of the Lord has interceded for God's people to receive mercy. And the Lord answers this prayer with gracious and comforting words that Zechariah is to proclaim to the people. God reassures Zechariah and his fellow Israelites that they will receive this mercy. It's the news they needed to hear. But verse 14 may cause some of you concern because Zechariah is told to announce to Jerusalem that God is jealous for them. Now, how can God be jealous? Isn't that a bad thing? About a week ago, my family was around the dinner table and our oldest daughter, Evelyn, asked a question about God's character. She said, why is it that when we do certain things, it's a sin, but when God does it, it isn't a sin? Yes, it's only light-hearted mealtime banter at the Orcutt house. No, but that is a solid question from a 10-year-old. <clears throat> so I asked her, when God commands us to worship him, is that a good command? And, and she affirmed that it was. And then I asked her, if you commanded people to worship you, would that be a good command? Thankfully, her answer was, no, that would be bad. And we reasoned together that God can righteously command worship, and we can't because God alone is worthy of worship, and he freely chose to create us for this purpose. No one else is worthy of worship, and no one else is in a position to command worship. God is exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. God literally says he is jealous with a great jealousy. So why is it good and right for God to be jealous, but when we're jealous, it's, it's sinful, or at the very least, it's petty? For the exact same reason. God is righteously jealous because his people belong to him and to him alone. And when they forget this, when they want a, a lesser king, when they chase after false gods, his perfect and holy jealousy is kindled. Is God a jealous God? You bet. Along with being patient and long-suffering, he is jealous. And jealousy for his people communicates two wonderful truths. One, that his people are his. And two, it matters to him when we go astray. The people of Israel had forgotten who they were and whose they were. And now, after so many years under the thumb of another nation, God is mercifully calling them back. And he tells them that he will live among them. His jealousy is necessary and good. Let that simmer within you. God doesn't look at his people and say, Ah, I can take them or leave them. No. He is jealous with a great jealousy. Now this ought to comfort God's people and break their hearts for their disobedience. God in his patient faithfulness is drawing his people back home and has said that he will dwell among them. 
Look at verses 16 and 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, Zechariah, tell the people. Thus says the Lord of hosts, My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Not only has God said that his people will finish building his house, the temple, but that the people will directly experience God's merciful and comforting presence, resulting in overflowing prosperity in and beyond Zion. Their labor is not in vain. The house they are commanded to finish building is God's house, and he is pleased to comfort them with his presence. Church, this promise will be fulfilled in its most perfect sense at the end of days with all of God's redeemed people. This strange land that we live in, along with all of its pains, will be no more. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and God will forever live with his people. And our eternal peace will begin when we behold with our eyes what we now sing with our hopeful voices, these words. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great thou art. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for revealing to us that you are patient, but also jealous for your people. We thank you for loving us with a perfect love, for having ways that are higher than our ways. We pray that you would help us to repent from our sins and turn to you, the only true source of peace. We thank you for all things through Jesus. Amen.